Michael Vonnen. Welcome to the Tolkien Lore Channel. I'm the Tolkien Geek, and this video comes largely courtesy of David Rowe, who is the author of a book called The Proverbs of Middle-Earth, and the reason I say that is because a lot of the research for this video was actually done based on that book, because it was really, really helpful, because the point of this video is to show where characters in The Lord of the Rings expressed some general principle or general advice that they then either lived up to or didn't. And I'm not talking about things that they said they would do specifically and then did or didn't. There's really great examples of that, and one of the best being Sam saying that he's going to carry Frodo on his back if it, whether he'll carry Frodo whether it breaks his back or not. Uh, and that's a really explicit, I'm going to do X, and then he either does or fails to do it. The ones I'm going for here are more proverbial in nature, which is why the book, The Proverbs of Middle-Earth, served as such a great resource for this. And in fact, two of the ones that were in that book are the ones that gave me the idea for this video. If you follow Tolkien Proverbs, which is one of his... Twitter handles, it's literally just one word, no spaces, no underscores, Tolkien Proverbs. On Twitter, it's literally just a running cycle through the book, just quoting different proverbs, and it's really interesting because you get, every time you see them come around again, you're like, oh, there's a different, fresh perspective on that, and that's what gave me the idea for this video. So, shout out to David Rowe, and I'm going to link to my previous video where I reviewed his book, in the description below as well. But now let's get to the topic, which is multiple times in The Lord of the Rings where characters were bitten in the butt by their own words, whether for good or bad. So before I get to the actual characters and the way that they interact with their own words, I did want to explore why this video, I think, or this topic rather, is worth discussing. And one of those is it's one, a really good example of how good story writing gets done. You want to set up something that then gets, you know, referred back to later on. Or, you know, you have a, there's a payoff in some way later down the road. And in a story as big as The Lord of the Rings, sometimes these are a little bit easier to miss. And that's part of the reason why I had to do research for it. Because it's so often the case that somebody says something and then only in, you know, very different chapter ends up with a situation where they have to either live up to or not their own words, that it's hard to, you know, think of all that unless you have them right there in front of you and you can look at it. But there are a lot of these. And not only is it a great way of looking at parallels and payoffs in Tolkien's work, it's also goes to one of his themes. And this theme is really especially borne out in the Silmarillion, where there's a lot of you know, warnings, either explicit or implicit, against having, you know, or taking oaths, because those kinds of things can, you know, cause problems if you're not careful. And Elrond is really explicit about this in one of the examples, actually, that I'm going to give. Elrond actually says, you know, a sworn oath may break a, you know, a heart that might be on the fence about you know, doing what it, the person says they're going to do. And I'll get to that in a little more detail later because that comes up in one of my favorite examples of this. But so there's, there's this idea that oaths are a bad thing. And most of these have nothing to do with oaths, but 
the interesting thing is whenever you say something as a general principle or as a general advice that people ought to follow, you are setting yourself up for some, kind of the same problem because when you say people should behave thus and such and then you don't do it, you're kind of putting yourself in the same boat as the oath taker who then either is forced to keep the oath in a bad situation or break the oath in order to avoid the bad situation because then you still end up with the problem of being either a hypocrite or a liar or something like that. So this topic ends up being very thematic for Tolkien, in fact. Now that I've explained why I think this topic is really interesting, now let's look at the actual characters and how they fared. So this first example actually comes courtesy of Aragorn, but it happens sort of in reverse, because he gives the principle after he has already been in a situation where it mattered personally to him. And the example here that I'm thinking of is when Aragorn is at the Hall of Edoras, uh, well, Mediseld in Edoras, he has the decision of giving up Anduril in order to be able to enter without a fight or keep Anduril and, you know, potentially have to fight. And this becomes a point of contention at the, the door. The door wards are literally about to draw swords and fight over the whole issue. And... Aragorn is being, if in my opinion, this is like his lowest moment in the story in terms of like his morals, because this is the one area where I think he gets a little too prideful and won't back down, even though really the situation does call for it. And even Gandalf tells him, like, just chill, give up your sword, everything's fine, don't worry about it. Then, of course, there's the joke about Gandalf not giving up his, his staff, and then Aragorn gets to poke fun at him for that. But the interesting thing is, later on, after Aragorn has already had to make this decision and almost made the wrong one, he will later tell Pippin, whose brooch he found when he was captured by orcs, uh, he will you know, give this back to Pippin at some point, and Pippin in the story will say, yeah, it was really heart-wrenching to let that go, but I couldn't think of anything better to do. And Aragorn tells him, you did well. A person who cannot give up a treasure at need is in fetters. And it's really interesting because Aragorn was more or less in that same exact position. He had a treasure on Duril, this heirloom of his house that had been passed down from father to son for thousands of years. And he almost wouldn't give it up, which would have greatly hampered the goal that Gandalf had in bringing them all to Edoras in the first place. So it would have placed them in fetters, metaphorically speaking, because it would have hampered their mission. And it's interesting because in this example, like I said, it kind of comes backwards. Aragorn has the event and then he espouses the principle. So it's interesting to wonder whether he learned from the experience and that's, you know, he comes up with that proverb on his own or whether it was something he already knew and just almost didn't live up to. Our next example comes, and this is kind of a weak one, but it's from Gandalf. And Gandalf, in one of his conversations with Denethor, says, Be not unjust in your grief. And his grief is about Boromir dying, and he's feeling guilty, basically, because he feels partially responsible for Boromir being the one sent on the mission to Rivendell, as opposed to Faramir, who he would rather have been the one to die. Uh, so there's kind of a dark side to that whole thing, but Gandalf is telling him in context, you know, don't be unfair to yourself. But the meaning of the words does have kind of a broader application, which 
could be used to apply to a later scene which goes down very differently in the book and the movie, and that's the scene at the Black Gate where they have the discussion with the Mouth of Sauron. Now, the reason I bring this up is because in the movie, the Mouth of Sauron just gets killed by Aragorn straight up. There's very little actual discussion, and then Aragorn just rides up to him, and the Mouth of Sauron kind of starts to insult him, and he pulls out his sword and whacks off his head, which is really not cool on a number of levels because it's an embassy. That's not really the way it's supposed to go. And in contrast, in the book, this is exactly the opposite of the way it goes because Gandalf actually does point out, we're not going to harm you because that is in fact the custom, that you don't harm emissaries. They're kind of under a white flag of truce for conversation. It's a parlay, right? And the way, the reason I think the, the saying kind of applies here is because at the same scene, the Mouth of Sauron brings up, of course, the mithril coat that Frodo had and the other characters around see Gandalf and they think that he believes it and that he is on the verge of capitulating to Sauron before he hears the actual terms of the surrender. But there's some question as to whether Gandalf actually does believe that in my mind. He acts like he does at any rate, according to all the people there, because he seems to have, you know, a faltering voice and feels defeated and whatnot, but I kind of wonder if maybe he's too smart for that. But in any event, he does not let his grief, which, you know, the grief over Frodo, which he apparently does feel, or, you know, anybody else's grief, none of them let that go out of control and kill the Mouth of Sauron in the book. And so that's Gandalf and everybody else living up to those words. And since we're on the topic of Denethor... Denethor at one point tells Gandalf that the steward of Gondor is not to be used as a tool for any other person's purposes. And this is really interesting because Gandalf will later tell us, and here again this one is kind of weak because the link is a bit tenuous, but Gandalf will eventually tell people around him after Denethor commits suicide and almost kills Faramir, he will tell them that because of the Palantir that Denethor had, the enemy entered into their own fortress and caused these really tragic events to occur. Denethor had looked into the Palantir and seen the fleet of Corsairs coming up the Anduin River and believed that that was actually Sauron's forces, when in fact it was actually Aragorn who had captured those ships from the Corsairs. And as a result, he ends up not only killing himself and thus you know, removing part of the command of the city... But also, he distracts Gandalf from his role, which was facing off against the Witch King. Because Gandalf, when he's about to have his fight with the Witch King, the Witch King flees when the horns of Gondor—not horns of Gondor, horns of Rohan—are sounded, and he's about to chase after him when Pippin comes up and tells him, "Denethor's about to kill Faramir." Uh, so, because of Sauron's influence over Denethor, he has actually become the tool of Sauron and led to possibly greater tragedy than need have occurred on that day. So Denethor, unfortunately, did not live up to his own words. Our next example comes from Denethor's son, Boromir, who says a couple of things, actually. One of them is that the men of Minas Tirith are true to their word, and that it's not the way of the men of Minas Tirith to desert their friends at need. This latter, he says, when they're deciding their course down the river, because he says that they're going to need his help to get past the rapids, which are in the river, 
basically has helped carry the boats around it and get further down river. He is advocating for a different route because he just wants to go straight to Minas Tirith. Unfortunately for him, they don't vote that way, and he tells him, well, I'm not going to desert you at need because, you know, that's not the way of the men of Minas Tirith. He says the other line about the men of Minas Tirith are true to their word after recounting what he described as a temptation by Galadriel in offering something which he didn't describe what exactly that was, uh, an offer of something that he greatly desired in order to, you know, as opposed to going through with his mission. And, of course, he rather pridefully says that, of course, I refused her. Men of Minas Tirith are true to their word. Well, he then has to live up to that when it comes to betraying Frodo. And momentarily, of course, he fails to live up to both. He was not true to his word, which was to, you know, help the ring bearer. And he was not, you know, he did, in a sense, desert Frodo in the sense that he turned against him momentarily. But then he redeems himself and turns it around by being true to his friends and, you know, not necessarily helping the ring bearer directly, but he certainly helps Merry and Pippin, even though he falls in the attempt he does live up to his word in the end, and in that way, it's a really beautiful, redemptive story. This next one is a little bit different, because it doesn't have anything to do with advice or general principles of how to act, but Aomer at one point tells Gimli, off the unbidden guest proves the most welcome. And he says this right after a, a fray at, at the Battle of Helm's Deep, where Eomer, Aragorn, and a few others had been hacking away at some of the Urukai that were assaulting the gate, trying to knock it down. And they're about to head back into the keep when one of the Urukai, who appeared dead but apparently was just pretending, gets up and rushes and tries to get back at Aragorn and Eomer before they can get back in and take them by surprise. Gimli, however, had been waiting around in the shadows and he pops out and kills the Urukai, and Eomer, you know, not knowing he had been there, says the unbidden guest proves the most welcome. Well, it's interesting that Eomer says this because there's another unbidden guest that rides with him or comes along with him. He did, Gimli obviously didn't ride to that point. Um, but Eowyn is an unbidden guest in a sense on the ride to Minas Tirith. Eomer, of course, did not really want her there. But there is a sense in which she ended up being a most welcome guest because luckily she does survive and she does, you know, get past all of her hang-ups and whatnot. And she manages to kill the Witch King despite the prophecy that said no man would, you know, be able to be the one to take him out. Aomer, of course, therefore, would not have been the one. Theoden would not have been the one. Open question as to whether Gandalf gets around the man category because technically he's not a human. He's a Maya. Um... So theoretically, Gandalf could have taken him out, but Eowyn and Merry together did take him out, and so in that sense, she was an unwelcome, well, an unbidden but welcome guest. And it almost proves tragic, of course, because Eomer almost loses his sister. And so in that sense, his words kind of bite him in the butt a little bit, but it all turns out for the best. Eomer's sister Eowyn also has her own encounter with this type of payoff situation because she at one point disguises herself as a knight of Rohan under the name Dernhelm, which incidentally I recently learned basically means mask. Dern means mask in Anglo-Saxon, or was it mask or something like that? But anyway, the idea is it's an incognito. 
So she, as Dernhelm comes to Mary after Mary has been told by Theoden that he has to remain behind, and she tells him, you can come with me. Goodwill should not be denied. Well, interestingly enough, after Eowyn has her battle with the Witch King and then gets taken to the Houses of Healing almost dead and almost succumbing to the Black Breath, she is then healed by Aragorn, who, you know, heals her kind of in her own despite because she actually went to battle seeking a glorious death in battle. And she's not super happy about it. And then she's even less happy about the fact that she does not get the opportunity to ride off and engage in further battle. So she's not super happy about this, but obviously that's goodwill that she's denying. And then she also wants to deny the goodwill of Faramir, who knows better than she does what she really ought to want. Uh, And eventually, of course, she does come around... And so in that way, she's kind of like Boromir in that at first she kind of fails the test of her own words, which is, you know, the goodwill of these other people should not be denied. She basically just wants to throw away, you know, the goodwill that they have toward her. But eventually she does come around and come to accept both Aragorn's healing of her and Faramir's love for her. And again, it all kind of works out in the end. Now, the final example is my favorite. And this is actually the one that kicked off this idea in my head. And it came up because David Rowe on his Tolkien Proverbs handle was tweeting and this one came up. And it's Gimli's line, Faithless is he who says farewell when the road darkens. And this is the one that comes up in that context where Elrond says the thing about oaths. Because Gimli and Elrond have a little bit of a back and forth about this. And Gimli says, Faithless is he who says farewell when the road darkens, and Elrond kind of cautions him and says, well, you know, not not everybody can do the same level of work or whatever, not in those words. Gimli, you know, says, sworn word may bolster or strengthen a quailing heart, and Elrond says, or break it. So Gimli is all about this staunch, you know, you got to push through it, you got to do what you said you're going to do, and you're faithless if you don't, and then you should, you know, a sworn word may help, you know, keep your word, even if you do have a, you know, strong incentive not to. Elrond is kind of cautioning against that. And Gimli comes to the test at the Paths of the Dead. And it's really interesting, because when Gimli gives his original line about the darkening of the road, He means it, of course, in a metaphorical sense. You know, things are getting more dangerous. Things are, you know, not as pleasant as they, you know, might have been. But with the Paths of the Dead, that also is true, but it's also dark in a very literal sense. And they enter with only torches, and eventually even those go out. And he barely makes it into the cave in the first place. He has to drag himself over the threshold. So he does live up to his word, but man, it's this close. But that's part of what makes it such an impressive example is because Gimli, you know, we don't know if he's consciously thinking about that previous thing he told Elrond, but you've got to wonder if he, at least at some point later, if not then, thought to himself, man, I barely passed that test. And it's just a really great example of how you know, you can have principles, but that doesn't mean it's always easy to follow them. And it's therefore, as Elrond says, you should be careful because, you know, swearing to this and really holding yourself to it might break you. 
Gimli, unfortunately for Sauron, was not so breakable, and he stuck with his friends. So, again, that worked out really great, and Gimli, Gimli really is my favorite example here, because it's just such a great, a great bookend there, because he starts off as this gung-ho guy, and then the paths of the dead really kind of humble him a bit, and he admits this to Mary Pippin and Legolas. He's like, you know, I thought I was hardier than any man and better underground than any elf, but Legolas just walks right in, and I'm just mortally terrified and can barely bring myself to enter. But he does it. So, great example of this, my favorite example, and that's why I wanted to end on it. And so that is that video. So I hope you like these examples of when characters gave some kind of general advice or principle and then ended up having to either live up to it or be bitten in the butt by it one way or the other. Uh, I thought it was a really cool example. There's probably others out there that are less proverb-related because, like I said, most of my research for this came from the Proverbs of Middle-earth. And so there may be other lines that are not really proverb-like where characters do similar things and then either live up to them or don't. So if you've got any ideas for those that I missed out, please do leave them in the comments. That could be easy, interesting to look at how those play out as well. Uh, again, I'm not really looking for those like where Sam just explicitly says, I'll carry Frodo if it breaks my back. I mean, that's a specific, I'm going to do X thing. And that's not really what I'm talking about. I'm looking more at like generalized kinds of advice or principles that then get applied or not in specific situations. So if you know of any other ones like that, do put them in the comments below. If you like the video, please give it a thumbs up, share it around. And you can also, of course, find me on Odyssey and Rumble. And you can follow me on Twitter at JRRTLore for some occasional Tolkien-related trivia questions. Subscribe to the channel and click that bell icon to get all the notifications. And you can support me on Patreon. Until the next time, I'm the Tolkien Geek, signing out for the Tolkien Lore channel. Namadie.